Sawbones is a show about medical history, and nothing the hosts say should be taken as medical advice or opinion. It's for fun. Can't you just have fun for an hour and not try to diagnose your mystery boil? We think you've earned it. Just sit back, relax, and enjoy a moment of distraction from that weird growth. You're worth it. <laughs> Hello, everybody, and welcome to Sawbones, a marital tour of misguided medicine. I'm your co-host, Justin McElroy. And I'm Sydney McElroy. Sid, aren't you relieved that this whole thing has been blown out of proportion and it is going to be smooth sailing from here on out? It's all a conspiracy. It's all a scam. Mm-hmm. And I, for one, uh, am, am feeling pretty good about it. Gonna get my How? beach body right. Gonna uh-huh. get out there to the mall. Uh, the beach, the beach here, and gonna start licking phone poles again. Um, so, how fast into the episode should you clarify that you're being facetious? It's actually this exact moment. Okay. I there's... just in case somebody like decides to stop and send us an, an angry email right now. Can you clarify what I'm pretending to talk about? Because you said I was not allowed to watch it because I'm impressionable. And well, easily swayed. Moreover, it's already been removed from YouTube. Oh, really? How bad you gotta be? Oh, listen, y'all. I've seen <laughs> some things on YouTube. Yeah. Some things. Yeah. There was a video circulating that hopefully, I don't know. I, I always like to say, hopefully you haven't watched. But at the same time, it's not that I don't, I, I don't think, I don't believe in censorship, but they are doctors spreading misinformation and that is dangerous to the public health. So I don't believe that censorship to say, well, we shouldn't let. I mean, if I ran a video platform, I wouldn't want that video up there because mm-hmm. they're endangering lives with misinformation. Mm-hmm. And that's that's different. I mean, that to me, that's more akin to yelling fire in a theater than it is. Oh, I don't like what you have to say. But these two doctors that were talking about COVID and, and, and that made quite a stir. But I think that you'll see some of their talking points. And some of their their quote unquote data uh, regurgitated, and I use that word specifically mm-hmm. in the, the 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 public and the media. So we wanted to kind of give you, or Sid will, I will sit calmly and make fart jokes. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, give you the tools that you needed to sort of work against that and sort of unearth where things are. Uh, just a little bit sketchy, right? Some of those uh, those points they're bringing up. So in this video, two doctors who uh, identify themselves as emergency physicians, mm-hmm. as uh, the, that is the specialty they pursued, but they currently work running a system of urgent cares. So they, they own multiple locations of urgent cares. And I think it seems like they spend more time in like the administrative running a business end than actually like face-to-face patient care. Dr. Kelso is not Dr. Cox. Yeah, yeah, I, I get that impression from from what they're saying. Um, 
but that this is how they self-identify and they they put all this out there and they make clear too they they actually do say to be fair that they have seen a much lower patient volume and their business has been hurt so it's out there i mean that's not conjecture i bet their business has been hurt by the shutdown it's weird the only one <laughs> it, they've lost money uh, and they held a press conference that was widely aired and then I think like CBS aired it or one of the major one of the major broadcasting stations aired it and there were news reports on it and then there were rebuttals to it and then it was on YouTube and then it was taken down which only really fanned the flames uh, of like kind of a right wing conspiracy network basically saying these are the two truth tellers who the liberal media is trying to shut down and so now they've kind of become like like darlings of that side of it's amazing a cycle i've never seen before i don't even know why i'm calling it a cycle it's the first time and i think the reason that what they said there are several reasons that what they said was taken so seriously even though it flew in the face of what all other medical experts were saying so weird um but i think i think one of the reasons that i wanted to break down is that they use a lot of numbers and i think that uh, statistics in particular it, it can get very dense it is a hard thing i know that it is something that we are a part of our medical education is you know used to focus on because we're supposed to read be able to read studies and interpret them and just tell if they're you know valid or not and that's a hard thing to do, even I know with the education I've had, um, specifically looking at that. So if you've never had a class in statistics, it, it could seem like they know what they're talking about. Like you could do some simple math based on what they're saying and it sounds accurate. And that's very, that's very intentional. And so I thought it was worth breaking down some of the numbers and then talking a little bit about some just like bold-faced lies. <laughs> Why don't you start by framing it as to what is their thesis statement for people who are uninitiated? Their thesis is that, first of all, our reaction to coronavirus as a nation has been a huge overreaction. Hmm. That there is no need to continue the shutdown, that we have done basically more damage than was necessary to the economy, and we should immediately open everything back up. And they're basing that on a couple of points. One, they think way more people have already had coronavirus than we know. They're just walking around, already had it, did, had, maybe had no symptoms or so mild symptoms they didn't go to a doctor. And therefore, they are now immune. Mm -hmm. uh, and also that coronavirus is not nearly as deadly as we are being led to believe. Okay. He thinks that the um, the death numbers are inflated and he has several reasons that he lays out for how he thinks and why he thinks they're being inflated. Uh, but basically that we should all go back to our lives because w most of us are going to get this virus. But but such a small percentage of us are going to die that it doesn't matter, basically, that it's the flu. He compares it to the flu. He said it is very much like the flu and in some ways not as bad as the flu. Still a wild line of reasoning for what it's worth as a humanist. Uh, I think that's still a wild kind of kind of uh, stance to take, but sure. If it wasn't any more deadly than the flu, I mean, we, we don't shut down for the flu, right? We have a flu vaccine. Yeah, but sometimes the flu vaccine doesn't protect everybody. And sometimes we do get hit. What I'm saying is 
if you really truly bought into that lie, which it is, it's a lie that it is the same as the flu. It is absolutely not. But if you bought into that lie, the rest of the house of cards he builds makes more sense. Um, and the numbers that he that he puts forth at the very beginning of the video are, are the foundation of this house of cards, um, which I I called. I thought it was worth mentioning. I called this episode um, lies, darned lies, because I can't say the other D word because this is a family friendly show and statistics, which is a quote I had heard on West Wing. But I looked it up to see where it came from. And it looks like we're not exactly sure the first person to say this. There are a couple different people who it's been attributed to. I think Mark Twain made it very popular, although Mm -hmm. it was not it did not originate with Mark Twain. Um, But those are the three types of lies. Lies, darned lies and statistics. That's that is what that's where that quote comes from. Thank you, West Wing, for sharing it with me. (laughs) And thank Uh, you, Sydney, for sharing it with me. No, I saw West Wing too. Okay, so he starts off with a bunch of numbers. He starts off with the tests that have been done at their locations, their data. That's what he that's his whole thing. I have data. I have this system of urgent cares at which I've done testing. And I can tell you the data, the hard data. Here are the numbers I have. We've tested this many people and we have this many positives. And he comes up with a number from that, a percent based on that, that he then extrapolates out to the state of California to the country as a whole. That is where all of his numbers come from. So like he talks about the state of California, there have been 33,865 COVID cases at the time of the videos being made. 280,900 were tested. So that's 12% positive. Now, it is important to remember this is the this is the fatal flaw in the entire video that makes everything fall apart. 12% of people tested were positive in this number, in this fraction. He uses that to say 12% of Californians are positive. Mm. Now, Justin, do you know why that's a problem? Yes, because the people who would – it's a biased sample because the people who would be uh, seeking out testing are already sick. And as we know, there are a ton of asymptomatic spreaders mm-hmm. with COVID. I've seen numbers as high as like 50% maybe exhibit no symptoms. Yes. So there could be – we have no idea. There but- could be – There could be. it's a much higher ratio because you – have people who are sick who are seeking out tests so a higher percentage so so if 12 percent of people who are the if you remember when we first started testing in this country it was really hard to get a test it's still hard to get a test in some places but it was really hard to get a test at first because you had to have traveled to china or had been directly in contact with somebody who had just traveled to china or a case so the people who were getting tested initially were the absolutely most likely people to have it. And of the absolutely most likely people to have it, 12% were positive. So why would we think that of the people who were less likely to have it, a higher percentage or even the same? No, a much lower percentage. That number is actually comforting in some way that only 12% of the absolutely most likely people to have had it have had it or actually Mm -hmm. had it. That shows a much lower prevalence depending on how you look at it so that's that's and that is the error that everything is based on because once you see that 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 part of his data is wrong everything crumbles because what he takes from that is he then says well if that percent of the country is infected 
And so far we have had, I mean, at that point it was 50 some thousand deaths in the country. Then what that means, comparing the population of the United States to the death rate, that it is 0.03% fatal. I mean, it's just. Which puts it on par or less than the seasonal flu. That's just not, but there's, but it. Because of what you said earlier, it doesn't make sense. Right. But but if you bought those numbers that he puts out in the very beginning, then all of a sudden the death rate is so low, you would ask yourself, but why don't we do this for the flu then? I mean, so I, so that the numbers are specifically being used to bolster a case that is false. Um, so the math is bad. I think that's the first thing you need to know. The second is he he obviously doesn't understand a randomized sample. As we spoke to the people who are coming to urgent cares to be tested cannot be considered a randomized sample of the American people, especially early on. If we're talking about people who had classic symptoms or known exposures were the only ones being tested. So uh, the example that I came up with for this is let's say I wanted to know how many people in this country liked my podcast sawbones okay our podcast i guess it's fine so uh let's say there i i guess the best way to do this would be like what i send out random emails except that would only be people who have emails so maybe i would need to send out some emails and then also go door to door and then also send out some letters and then also make some phone calls Mm -hmm. right like it would take a while to generate a random sample of the entire country from different locations, different ages, different genders, to find out how what percent of the country likes my podcast Sawbones. Okay. Now, what if instead, the next time, whenever that day comes, that we get to go on tour for a My Brother, My Brother and Me show, I wait until there's a line outside the theater and I walk down that line and I ask everybody in the line for your show at which Sawbones opens, if they like my podcast or not. Well, you're going to get a much higher hit right there. And then I say, guess what? (laughs) Guess what, everybody? My podcast is popular with literally half the country. Or maybe more. I don't know. I don't know how many people come to Mabim Bam shows like Sawbones. But But still, the point is... The point is, it's, it's cherry picking. Right. And that's... That doesn't make sense. That's bad data. That's not a randomized sample. Anybody can tell that. Um, so, Except this guy, apparently. Yeah. Who we're, We know it's weird to intentionally not name these people. We just don't want to give them any more platform than they already have. So right. Here we right. Are. Um, I also don't want them to, like, yell at me. Yeah, yeah. We've been <laughs> in that room before. Come after me. I just want them to stop telling lies about COVID. Um, so... Obviously, their, their numbers fall apart from there because that's their whole case is built on that. Um, the other thing is, you know, if you want to get into some of this, that the tests we need, uh, the, the tests themselves that we're doing right now, I think it's important to note, is a test that tells you if you are positive, if you have the virus right now. And this is a really big problem because all of his all of his arguments about how prevalent this is are based on this concept of point prevalence 
that at this exact moment in time, this many people tested positive. This completely excludes people who may have already recovered from the illness who will now test negative or people who haven't gotten it yet, but will get it maybe tomorrow who are going to test positive tomorrow. Mm -hmm. And then also the fact it excludes a very scary question mark that's in the back of a lot of doctors minds, which is we think you are immune to coronavirus for a while after you have recovered from it. We believe that is likely to be true. Not long lasting, lifelong immunity, but at least some period of time. But we don't know that. We don't know that. So mm-hmm. it's even more dangerous to say all you people have had it and also you're fine now that you've had it. Yeah. We don't know that. We hope that. We think that, but we don't know it. Um, antibody testing could do a little more of what he's trying to do, but that's not at all what he's using. Right. And antibody testing is still, there are still problems. There are still issues with rolling that out. Um, which leads me to the flu comparison. So in the worst years of flu, in the worst years influ- of seasonal influenza, it can kill up to 60,000 people in a flu season. Okay. okay. Those are the worst years. Anywhere from 10 to 60,000 is what we estimate the mortality of the flu is going to be in a given year. Mm-hmm. Um, that is with no social distancing. That is also with a vaccine, by the way. So with absolutely no vote, with absolutely no social distancing, with no other measures taken, with nothing else we're doing, it's still going to kill that many people. Now, COVID has killed that many people with lockdowns, with social distancing, with travel bans, with businesses being shut down. We have already had 60,000 plus people die. But without a vaccine. In a shorter period of time. You yes. Call, you brought the vaccine into it. I think that that's like. Well, I want to give hope. Okay. I think the vaccine, because the vaccine makes a huge difference. Right. But my point is COVID is worse than flu. It's worse than flu. It's statistically, it is categorically worse than flu. Okay, but what we, if we had not done social distancing? We have to deal with the vaccine thing, though, because you said the vaccine, so we have to deal with that. Like, what? How much is that blunting the impact of seasonal flu? Well, I'm certain it is. So, how can we say that COVID is worse if the if the seasonal flu has a vaccine? Because even in years when we didn't have a vaccine for the flu. I mean, we haven't always had a flu vaccine. It didn't kill this many people. Really? Yeah. I mean, not all, there have been pandemics. We've talked about 1918, 1919. There have been flus that have killed this many people and more, but not the the typical seasonal flu. Right. Makes sense. But my point is that with social distancing, we have reduced that the number of deaths we've had so far is equal to the absolute worst years of seasonal flu. With all these measures, if we had not taken these measures, how much worse would it have been? And it's not done. Right. Like that number's unfortunately going to go higher. So the, the comparison to the flu, it's I mean, it's it's really it's like closing your eyes. It's it's you're not paying attention to reality. He says things like um, and besides, 96 percent of Californians are going to recover from this and there will be no long lasting complications. That is a it's a great move because that's such an impressive number, right? Mm-hmm. Well, what's the big deal? If you're saying that four percent of people die, that's a huge number, man. I saw somebody on Twitter, I forget, just like 
uh, why don't well, instead of all these other depressing numbers, why don't we focus on this number? And it's like ninety seven percent recovery. And I'm like, um, <laughs> like that's very bad. That's so many people. If I know over a hundred people, right? If three percent of the people d- just like died today, I'd be like, hmm. Good one. Anyway, I'm off to bed. Like, it's wild. It doesn't make any sense. Those numbers are huge. And he even says, I think he says 92% of New Yorkers are recovering. That's wicked bad. 8%? So we're just willing to say I mean, that it's, like, it's no like big deal? 8%? Reframe it. 8% of grandmas. Like, what are we doing? Like, 8% of all grandpas are now are, are about to die. But that's fine. It's good. But he's he's hoping you won't think about the flip side of the numbers. Um, he's assuming you won't. He's also, by the way, there are a lot of people who are still sick and we don't know what their outcome's going to be. So to sit here and talk about recovery rates, like we're in the middle of it, man. You can't take a view as if it's history when it's happening. And that's and sometimes that's what he's that's what he's trying to do. Um, he also calls into question all of the um, projections that were given early on. Remember the the early graphs that they showed us were like sure. 100,000, 200,000, how many people are going to die in the U.S.? Yeah. Um, more than that, even. And then he said, and then we were told like, oh, it's lower, it's lower, it's lower. And he's like, see, they just made up all these numbers to scare you and all their projections were wrong, all their stupid models, blah, blah, blah. And obviously, I think it, you might already know this, but the truth is, those were projections used to show us what would happen if we didn't take social distancing seriously. It's the parachute thing, right? Yes. The parachute, it, I exactly. fell out of the plane. I'm, I'm falling slowly. I'm going to cut these parachute strings because I never needed them in the first place. Exactly. Exactly. Um, and then the, the last big numbers issue that I wanted to get into is he has this little thing about Sweden and Norway. And I don't know if you've been following the situation in, in Sweden, but they decided not to do any social distancing um, which sounds that sounds like a really heavy charge for me to lay at their feet with all I've said about being in favor of social distancing. But they there was a thought in the beginning of this, like, could we do a herd immunity thing? Could we let everybody go about their lives and enough healthy young people will get sick, get better, be fine, that they'll protect the elderly and, and at risk in our population? Um, it looks like that's not a good idea, but. Uh, but that was the track they decided to take. And so he compares Sweden and Norway, Norway, where they have done all of the social distancing and the things that we have, we've been doing here. And he looks at the number of deaths that they've had in each country and says, and that difference is insignificant. Now, it is worth noting that, first of all, um, I think what he's talking about is statistically significant. Mm-hmm. And if you and that's that's a that's a term we use to determine if we have like a control group and then a group in which we've done some sort of intervention in a study and then the control group has this many that got sick and the uh, group in which we gave the intervention has this many that got sick we have to do an analysis between those two numbers to see is that difference real and was it due to whatever we did to the medicine or the vaccine or whatever or is it just chance Because one number could be higher than the other purely out of chance, Mm -hmm. right? I mean, you have to control for chance. So I think that's what he's saying is that the difference between these two numbers is just chance. And the way he arrives at them, again, is by dividing the number of people who die by the entire population of the country. Which doesn't make any sense. But even if he did the math, 
it is statistically significant. It is a statistical, a statistically significant difference. Unfortunately, a statistically significant higher number of people in Sweden have died from COVID than Norway. And Sweden did not do these things. And Norway did. Now, I would not use any of those numbers where I'm making an argument because they're bad numbers. His math is bad. That's not how you figure out death rate. None of that makes sense. It's bad math. But even if you use his math, he just lies at the end of it. No, there is a difference. Social distancing did work in Norway. Fewer people did die. He just said they didn't. Mm-hmm. I, it's it's wild. It's Anyway. It's wild. I want to hear more, Sydney. I'm going to get out of the math because I know the math is heavy. Yeah, I'm like struggling with it. I know, well, bit. I know. But that's why that's why the statistics are presented like that, because they get they can lead you down a path and you don't remember how it started and if you're not somebody who likes this, which I am not, I like math okay, but I'm not in love with statistics. If you don't love this stuff, it can get, it can lead you the wrong direction. But as long as you're feeling uh, malleable and open to suggestion, why don't we <laughs> head to the billing department? <laughs> Let's go. The medicines, the medicines that escalate macabre for the mouth. Sydney, you know how you're always saying that you'd like to build a Justin McRoy fan site full of all your favorite quotes, clips, videos, and hunky pictures of beloved podcaster Justin McRoy? I don't remember. Well, there's that- no need to wait any longer, Sydney, because Squarespace is going to make it easier than you could possibly believe to make a website uh, all about your favorite hunky podcasting superstar. I don't think I was going Squarespace, to— Squarespace, what is it? It's a tool—think of it as— the palette, the palette of a web design artist. But you don't have to be a web design artist. You could just take stuff off the palette that is created by real people that know what they're really doing and put it from the palette onto the easel. The metaphor is broken down. Basically, you're going to be able to create great-looking websites that have fantastic customer support and help you unlock your creativity and do whatever you want to with your small business or podcaster obsession. You can sell products. You can uh, post your videos. You can share your stories about how Justin has shaped your life and is also a fantastic father. Folks, you got to stop waiting to make your Justin McElroy fan site. Go to squarespace.com slash sawbones for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch your Justin McElroy fan site, use offer code sawbones to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. We have just started rehearsing for the summer theater. That's right. Summer starts in March around these parts, and that means we don't have much time at all in the evenings to make dinner. But we will not be just consuming Wendy's, uh, although there will be some Wendy's consumed, but we are going to have a little extra help with Factor, which delivers ready-to-eat delicious meals right to your door and not like junky stuff you get out of the freezer aisle, whatever. This is real high-quality, chef-crafted stuff that in two minutes you're ready to eat it. I'm talking about some Southwestern-style turkey and mac. I think this week I'm going to be enjoying a shredded chicken taco bowl is 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 part of my plan. Um, but they got, like, fancy stuff. Listen to this. Where are you going to get this? Truffle butter filet mignon. I mean, seriously? From, from, from a, a box? Pre-prepared, all I got at two minutes, I'm eating filet mignon. That sounds delicious. Yeah, it sounds delicious. And you can give these a try. And it's not just these meals. We're talking pancakes, smoothies. They got some great wellness shots that are surprisingly delicious. And the meals you just eat and eat, there's no prepping, cooking, 
or cleanup. Get as much as you need by choosing your meals every week. You're going to get exactly what you want. No surprises here. Uh, and the meals, I can say, are delicious. So what do you got to lose? Head on over to factormeals.com slash sawbones50 and use code sawbones50 to get 50% off. That's code sawbones50 at factormeals.com slash sawbones50 to get 50% off. All right, Sid, you promised me a math-free back half. So he says a couple things that aren't based on math to help support his his argument. Um, some of it is political. Uh, there's definitely that undertone there. There's a lot of talk about they, they, the the mysterious they, who want you to be scared. He talks a lot about they use the word they use the word safe, and when they say safe, they really want you to be under their control, and that's a I don't know that. So obviously there are some um, deeply held political, ethical, I don't know, some sort of beliefs that underpin this argument. And as I've said, he he's very honest that they've lost money. Mm-hmm. So that is part of what is happening here. Um, but then he says that the reason the death rate might be wrong he thinks we are we we are saying that so many more people are going to die of COVID than actually are, and that that's not true and it's not that dangerous, is because it's being overreported. Mm-hmm. And the way he says that, and the way he bolsters that claim, is by saying that doctors that he has spoken to all of because all ER doctors talk to each other every day, I guess, at least in his world, uh, that they are they told him that they're being pressured to put COVID on death certificates by their hospitals because they get paid more. I should, I should start with, there is no, I could not find any evidence for this. I could not find any, and this is a hard thing to disprove, right? Mm -hmm. It's hard to, to prove a negative. Like nobody's pressuring anybody to code COVID. Um, but I, that was really difficult for me to find. And I do think I, I, but I could find no incident of that. I didn't find any evidence that that is happening. Um, right now, the thought is we're under reporting COVID deaths. I don't know if you looked recently, but the number of people who have died in general in the U S is way higher than normal, right. even excluding COVID. So we might, we're probably missing at home deaths and also not everybody could get tested or could, can still get tested. So we're probably missing a lot of COVID deaths is the truth. And you don't test somebody after they've died because we don't have enough tests to use them for that purpose. So all that aside, though, um, I think it's important to know, first of all, when it comes to death certificates, and I don't know if this is interesting to hear, but I've found that a lot of people who don't have to interact with them don't always know how that document. I I was interested when you told me. I thought it was interesting. Okay, so. When one of, as a family physician, if one of my patients that I take care of uh, pass away, they will actually send me the death certificate most often. Occasionally, they'll fill it out in the hospital if it happened in a hospital. But a lot of the times it ends up with me, even if I, I mean, unfortunately, sometimes that's how I'm notified is receiving Mm. a death certificate um, if a family member doesn't call me. And uh, I will then have to try to figure out what happened retroactively to fill out the death certificate most of the time. Mm-hmm. Sometimes the doctor in the hospital or the ER or wherever will fill in some of the information, but 
the vast majority of us don't get an autopsy. So as far as like the death certificate providing some sort of new information, it, it really doesn't for the vast majority of, of us. It's just what we think based on what we saw, what happened at the end, the tests that w- were done, if there were any, here's what we think happened. That's it. There is no... It's interesting because I'd always thought of them as like a... Le- you see them presented a lot in like legal contexts or contexts or like, um, you know, you think of them more as like evidence, like proof or something like that, but... It, it's, it gets really difficult. Um, like I said, if there's not going to be an autopsy and you have someone who, who goes suddenly and not after like a protracted course of disease with a certain thing, um, it, I mean, it's really they're really difficult sometimes to to fill out. And we, we and that doesn't mean like so they're invalid, but like the idea that ER doctors are spending a lot of time writing COVID on death certificates or certainly urgent care doctors who probably aren't. Um, that this is all this is all wild conjecture. Um, but aside from the death certificate part of it, so this is sort of like he has taken a lie, but he wrapped it in just enough half truth that if you try to research this for yourself, you might find something that leads you to believe it's true. And I think you have to understand the really um, messed up American healthcare system and the way that healthcare is billed for to understand it. So if you come into the hospital and you come in through the ER because you have a fever and you're short of breath Mm -hmm. and when you come in, that's what you say. (coughs) I have a fever. I'm short of breath. I have a fever. I'm short of breath. Those kind of things. You don't trying to play my role. Okay. In the role play. And I say, I'm (laughs) short of breath. I'm coughing. And I do a chest x-ray and I find that you have pneumonia. Oh, it's cold. The x-ray <laughs> I, plate is cold. And I take your vital signs and I find that your oxygen's low, your blood pressure's low. You're pretty sick, right? Mm-hmm. I do some blood work. It doesn't look good. I do a bunch of stuff. Then you discover I, I have no pulse and I rise. <laughs> this is not the direction this was going. Sorry. But let's say that I do all that. But then when I go to write my note about what I just did and I give you all the right stuff and I get you admitted to the hospital, you're doing fine. But then when I go to write my note, I write fever and shortness of breath. I gave oxygen some medicine (laughs) monitor. Continue to monitor. Do you write that in charge a lot? Some medicine? (laughs) No, but you know what I mean. Let's say that I did that. Well, first of all, I would probably get a call from administration. (laughs) But secondly... The people, there are people in the hospital whose job it is to take whatever I put in my note and turn it into money. They're going to take the, the words that I put and turn them into billing codes because I don't type billing codes in my note. I type words, but then there's someone whose job it is to look at that and turn that into a code, which they will then send to your insurance company, which will mean a certain amount of money gets paid back to the hospital. Okay. So if if you have all of that and all I document is fever, the hospital doesn't get paid very much. The reason for that is the thought is, well, you're not going to have to use very many resources for this patient. You know, if you just have a fever, you won't use as much medicine. You won't use as many uh, person hours. You know, you won't have to get checked on as much. You won't need like an ICU bed. Uh, I didn't say anything about you needing oxygen support, you know, I all these extra things and your length of stay probably won't be very long, maybe just a couple days. Right. And they put all that together and then give the hospital some money. 
And then you stay much longer because actually you had all that other stuff. And so the hospital's upside down on you. Does that make sense? Yes. I know this is gross. I understand that this is medical care. The system is gross. We've been clear about this for a very long time. It's all gross, but this is how it, I'm just explaining that this is how it works. So. Can I try to extrapolate just based on what you're saying? Yes. So basically instead of fever, if you see a cluster of symptoms that could be COVID and there's not enough tests to go around, the coding person could just put COVID because there'd be more resources for it, right? Sort of. So yes. that was ten, ten. Well, sort of. The coding person is not going to put COVID. They can't do that. The doctor okay. would put in their note suspected COVID, rule out COVID. If you're getting admitted to the hospital and you're that sick, you're getting a test, by the way. Um, but the the what I think this is, is let's say I didn't put that in my note because I just put pneumonia or whatever. And then your COVID test came back later. I would probably get a call from the coder to say, Hey, do you mind adding COVID to your note? Mm. This happens all the time. This is there. Not just about COVID, not just about COVID. There, there are people in the hospital. This is their job. This is what they're trained to do. They go to school to do this, to learn these codes. And when they look at your note and like the note, I, the example I gave you, and I just put fever, I'll get a nice little note or call or task or something that says, it seems like this patient had severe sepsis with community acquired pneumonia. Could you, Please document that if that is accurate. I mean, that's always the thing. It's not put it in there if it's not. It's if it's accurate, would you put it in there? Because then we'll put that, we'll give that to the insurance company and the insurance company will pay us for the actual amount of resources that went into caring for this patient. Worth noting that these coders are not the bad guys either. I mean, no, we have they're just doing their job as part of this. Absolutely. This, this system. We have family that do this job. This is not a, you know, they're not yes. like the pencil pushing, like squeeze every... If dime they, out they're they're just doing their gig the system is broken of course but if they didn't do that hospitals would go under in a week mm-hmm. they that's why they have a job is they realized doctors are never going to be good at doing i mean there are some doctors i know some who are very good at this i'm not good at it i suck at it and uh, these people reminding me or or suggesting hey it looks like this is in your note should it be in there it makes the hospital enough money to stay afloat now you can make arguments about where all the money goes, but still, the point is uh, that is that is how you get paid for the actual amount of resources. That's what you got to look at it. Not like, oh, if you're sicker, you get more money. Right. It's because you'll use more stuff, people, time, longer stay, blah blah blah. If you're sicker, um, and we know that patients with COVID tend to use a lot of hospital resources and stay longer, especially if you consider the cost of isolation, PPE and all the other things. So that is why if you dig into this, you will find that if you code COVID instead of just, I don't know, um, viral syndrome or pneumonia or respiratory distress, if you code COVID, you'll get the hospital will get reimbursed better, not the doctor. There is no there is no pressure on us to code things that are false. In fact, they don't want us to code things that are false because if we do, that's called fraud (laughs) and we'll get in trouble. But the hospital gets in trouble. Everybody gets in trouble. That's fraud. We don't. No one wants us to do that. Um, You are only supposed to code covid if they actually have covid. So I think that is the 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 truth in his lie that makes it more believable and again, it's it's hard because like nobody wants to talk about all this because the whole system is so gross. Right. Um, but it's logical. If you if you break it open, what he's saying 
like this system, the way it works is a cold business logic that shouldn't have anything to do with medical care, but does in the United States of America. So there is no conspiracy. Doctors are not getting pressured to code COVID more than it's already there. We're probably missing a ton of COVID deaths, unfortunately. And the number that it is probably more dangerous than we think. Now, when will we finally know how many people got sick and how many people recovered and how many people recovered with lifelong complications and how many people actually died of COVID? When will we know all that? Not for a while. You just you can't take that. You can't figure those kinds of numbers out in the middle of things. Right. So the idea that he's even trying to is flawed. It's just not possible. We can create models and guesses and try to find ways to, you know, mitigate that. But it's impossible to arrive at those numbers. Um, he also says, by the way, that the other his other argument is that people aren't dying of covid. They're dying of like their COPD mm. and the covid just made it worse. Or they're dying of their heart disease, but the COVID just made it worse. So it's not really the COVID that killed them. It's their heart disease or their COPD. Well, that's kind of like... Please, please explain why that's a whack argument. Uh, that's <laughs> kind of equivalent to um, the fall isn't too bad. It's the landing that gets you, right? right. Mm -hmm. Like, well, yeah, but the fall is why the landing. <laughs> like, yes, okay, fine. But it it's... Like, it, we know comorbidities are a big are there's a big connection to fatalities with with this like it's not an it's not news and, right and many other things right. there, there are lots of conditions that are harder on people with certain comorbidities not just covid um and we still consider that their cause because the, the other thing is do you really think all of these patients with chronic but maybe stable heart disease copd whatever are suddenly going to drop dead in that month if they didn't get covid no it was the covid this is it's kind of like diabetes is is like that, right? Yes. It's like a, a huge complication for a lot of different things. Mm -hmm. But we don't say that like the diabetes is not so bad because you're actually dying of whatever else you're dying of. Right. It's it, So COVID is the cause of death in these patients. They would not. And the way you can tell is would they have died had they not gotten COVID? Well, no. I mean, all of us eventually. But no, not at that moment. So, so they died because... <laughs> The death was because of COVID. <laughs> so it's right there in the sense. Yes. So that's, I, I don't know. He, I mean, there are other things in there where he talks about like New York wanted 30,000 ventilators, but they only use five. I don't even know where, again, I don't know where some of the things it's hard to debunk. Cause I don't, I can't even find what he's might be referencing. It sounds like some, some guy on the phone told him that and he repeated it. Yeah. I don't know. That's my conjecture. I have no idea where he got these. I imagine there are New Yorkers listening to the show right now who are screaming at the idea that only five <laughs> ventilators yes. were used. So five ventilators or five thousand? Five. <laughs> no, that can't be what he said. He said really? they asked for thirty thousand and they only needed five. Now I think he may mean additional. Like right. they only needed five additional, but that is not I have not that is not I that is know. inconsistent with what I have read and and um, observed. But uh, anyway, so <laughs> the point is, the last thing that he calls to 
other than money and this is overblown. It's a hoax, a conspiracy, all this stuff that we've un- unraveled. The last thing that he mentions is that we've got to get people. Um, we've got to start taking care of people again because there are people who are getting sick and dying of other stuff because they're not getting proper care. Um, they're not coming to their doctors and getting proper care. This this is a truth. This is a concern. This And then he talks about it as if he's the only guy who knew. I'm, I'm just this guy who owns a bunch of urgent cares, but I understand this. No one else does. Well, excuse me, sir. I'm a family physician. I think I know that. And so do all of my colleagues and especially all of us in primary care. And I would say the medical community at large knows this. Yeah. And also the non-medical community. It makes sense. It's the it's the secondary effect that can happen with a pandemic. People not going for their routine maintenance visits, people not getting screening tests when they're due for them and missing things in early right. stages. Um People who aren't able to get their money be or able to get their medicine because maybe there's a huge run on their medicine because maybe somebody says it's a cure for COVID when it's who, not really a COVID. Who happens to be a cure the for COVID? Who knows? States. Yeah, we know that this is a problem. Uh, there are people thinking about it and talking about it and trying to figure out ways to get these people who have not been getting their routine care that we know is important, their preventative care and their maintenance of chronic disease care that they need. Um, we are trying to expand telemedicine. There are people who are thinking and worrying and working on these things. It's not perfect. And it there, there will be problems from that. But to think that the solution, especially for people who have chronic disease, that the solution is to just open everything back up and let these people get exposed is a wild yeah. solution. I mean, it won't work. It'll hurt more people than it will help. Um, we you can't do just need, sweep it under the rug. No, no. I, that And that was very frustrating to me because I, I meet with my fellow family physicians in my department every single week. And that question, how do we make sure that all of the stuff that isn't COVID is still getting taken care of as best as we possibly can while this is happening? That is the central question every week in our discussions and i guarantee you that is true in almost every other medical system throughout the country because the medical system in this country might be completely screwed up but all the people who make it up aren't some of them like these two guys are but all the people who aren't who make it up aren't there are a lot of good people who are working really hard to try to figure out how to take care of you um even if you don't have covid right now uh I think it's, you know, I, I think it's, uh, my sense is it's unfair. I think, and maybe you listening at home, it's unfair that you have to be work as hard as you do right now to get to the facts of the matter and the truth of the matter. And I think it is what we've talked about. I mean, you may be asking yourself, like, why do I need to know all this? Why, why is this happening? Like, I think that it goes back to a vacuum of leadership. Mm -hmm. If we had people at the top who were telling, uh, the sorting through this stuff and who were trustworthy, reliable narrators other than Fauci, of course. Um, if, if we had the leadership in place, we wouldn't, this wouldn't be happening because it would be, there wouldn't be someone who is undermining this message while they're putting it out at the same time at, as our president currently is. And I think that that's why you do have to equip yourself. Like you have to, get smarter than you have been about statistics and 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 this kind of stuff because you really do have to kind of look out for 
for your own interests and to push back against the 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 ignorance, which is like harder than it ever has been because all of a sudden the, the stakes are so much higher. I think I think that's the the really important part. It's not just I can I know it can seem like so is this just so when people present this video I can argue back with the right points, which is always nice to be able to do, but that's not even the brunt of it. I think we're entering a phase of this for a lot of us in this country, not every place, but unfortunately where we live in many other places where I you are going to have to make good decisions for yourself. Yes. More than ever, because the advice you're going to be given from the top could be bad. And that is a really scary place to be. Yes. Um, If you're if you're not an expert in these areas, which I'm not either. I'm not a I'm you know, I'm not an epidemiologist. I'm not an expert on pandemics. I am a doctor. I know some things, but I am not Anthony Fauci. And I mean, he's maybe the well, I'm sure there's other people in this country who understand it as well as him, but nobody more. And uh, I, I, it's going to be hard to know what the right thing to do is next. And you're going to have to use your best information and use science and rely on facts so that you're not distracted by. I think the hard thing is right now, doctors and science, we don't have all the definitive answers yet. Mm-hmm. We just can't. It's too, we're in the middle of it. It's impossible. This is unprecedented. We don't have a roadmap. Um, there's a ton that we don't know. And if you look at me and ask me for a definitive answer and I can't give you one, I give you the truth, but it's not it's not definitive. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're going to have a tendency to hear the voice that speaks the loudest with the most certainty. And that also maybe tells you the thing that you'd rather hear. I mean, the the facts that we do know are these. Until there is a widely distributed vaccine for COVID-19, there is not, you, you are always going to be, you are going to have to take your safety into your own hands every time you leave your house. And the people who are reopening things, and, and I'm not, I'm not trying to make an economic argument here. I understand that you know the 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 economic impact has has devastated a lot of people so i'm i'm not trying to get into that here but if there are people telling you that it is like safe um perfectly safe as safe as it ever was you know same as it was before you you have that should set off alarm bells for you because you have to be responsible for your own safety and the safety of people you care about until there is a vaccine and i know that's exhausting like when when restaurants start opening up here, you know my first impulse is going to be like, let me at that, you know, the the Bonhoff Wiener Schnitzel. Like, please let me get a table over there by the fire. I miss human beings so much. But like, you, this is the deal. Like, this is the this is the the journey that we are on. It's, and anybody who tells it tells you differently than that, anybody who says that they aren't taking risks by reopening things right now is a liar. They're lying to you because it is. They're gambling that they've probably beaten it enough to get things going again economically. 
And, and it's and it's I understand that it's hard. I say that like we have a tendency to hear what we want to hear. This is true of me too. I'm not I'm not saying yeah, you, the bud. listener. We all do. I'm we on all... that Disney Reddit every day. Like, what are you all thinking? Twenty five percent max capacity. Fifty percent is Mickey gonna be wearing a mask? Where are we all at? Let's get this, this is, thing open. This is quarantine fatigue. This is this happens. This happens over time where you start to convince yourself that maybe the threat isn't that bad. This is a known problem because it's hard to imagine doing this any longer. And this is where we all are. And as the states start to open up, there are going to be people who are well-meaning, intelligent people who believe in science and truth, who might take a risk that they wouldn't have taken otherwise because they're just so freaking tired of staying at home. And that's what you have to be vigilant against right now because we're all going to have that impulse. I, I can tell you that when I started hearing the rumor that this has been circulating in the U.S. a lot longer and so many more people have already had this and we're going to find that like most of us are already immune to it and all that stuff. When I started hearing that theory go around, oh, man, I read every article. <laughs> I wanted that to be true. <laughs> I read everything I could to try to like show me, convince me, sell me on it. Show me the facts. Man, that would be great. It would be great to think that it's not going to be as bad. And one... The evidence wasn't there. It just wasn't there. As much as I wanted it to be, it wasn't there. And two, how do you look at what's happening in in places like New York and say, well, most of us were immune already? Well, we obviously we were freaking not. Yeah. Um, that's the that's the sad truth. So um, you've got to you've got to keep as much as you can. We should be staying home. You, if you're going to go outside the house, you need to maintain social distancing. You need to wear a mask. You need to keep washing your hands. Um, I, I, for now, it's just too. There's too many unknowns. It's too unpredictable. I think there's some glimmers of hope with treatments. Um, we might cover that some more next week. But and, I, and you know what? Who knows? Maybe we're wrong, and it will all be fine. And if it is, that's a win for you too. But don't be the guinea pig. Don't be the canary in the coal mine who's like, I'm just going to get out there and see how things are. Don't that's not don't let that be you. No. And I, I hope I've said this many times in the last week. I hope I'm wrong. I hope that everybody looks at this podcast and goes, well, she was wrong. Look, it wasn't that bad, but we won't know for a while. So why not play it safe? Protect yourself, protect your family, your community, the people at risk. You know, people with chronic disease and with, you know, other comorbids and the elderly. Why not? You know, we'll be honest with you. We already ate crow on this thing once already when we were like, eh, well, no biggie. We're, we're chill on it. Not going to be a problem. <laughs> NBD. Like, we're, we don't care. We'll say right away, like, oh, well, that was wrong. It's pandemic. Anyway, we're locked in our house for the next, for the foreseeable future. Like, trust us. If it turns around, we'll be the first ones who are like, everybody barbecue our house. Let's go. <laughs> Um, thank you so much for listening to our show. We appreciate it. We hope you are staying safe, staying hopeful, staying home. Um, our theme song, uh, thanks to use of our theme song, which is by these words have gotten jumbled for me. I'm going to start at the beginning of the words and see if try they're the there. words again. Let me try the words again. Thanks to the taxpayers for the use of the song medicines as the intro and outro of our program. That's good. Thanks to Maximum Fun for having us as a part of their extended podcasting family. And thank you to you for listening. We sure appreciate it. And uh, be sure to join us again next week for Sawbones. 
Um, until next time, my name is Justin McElroy. I'm Sydney McElroy. And as always, don't drill a hole in your head. Org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.